morning slash afternoon slash evening, ladies and gentlemen. Depending on what time you are listening to the broadcast, of course, all three can apply because you might listen three times. Uh, I want to welcome you to another edition of Get Real with Coach Dave Taylor. I am your host, Dave Taylor, on this beautiful Friday morning. My Lord, what day is it? The ninth day of February. Time is flying by. Again, this is our second episode of the new 2018 season. I got to thank all of you who have commented and sent emails and uh, given me topic suggestions from the past episode. I really appreciate all the time. And obviously, it went very well, and I am back for uh, probably a consistent basis, one one episode a week. But um, just want to thank everybody for all your kind words. And this week, we waited till Friday. Of course, we have the Super Bowl to talk about. We have some NBA trade deadlines. That's why we waited till uh, Friday. Kind of review that. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. And then I have another topic we'll discuss that was a, uh, was a suggestion to me. So we'll go over that as well. But, uh, again, I want to thank everybody. I'm broadcasting from my illustrious studio where I have three TV monitors going and computers and everything else. My voice is a little shot because <clears throat> you know how that goes. When you coach as much as we do, you know, the wife and I coach together. We we have, I don't even know, four teams in the winter. We'll have four teams all the time. Then we go watch high school games. Then I come home, yell at kids. It never ends. It'd be nice to have like a, a weekend off from the vocal cord destruction, but uh, that doesn't seem possible. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. Why not get that? First of all, I have to apologize. It was brought up to me several times that, like an idiot, I said the Super Bowl was between the uh, Patriots and the Steelers, I think is what I said. Who knows? There's no editing here on this program. So uh, who knows what I said. But uh, if I, I, I have to apologize because, as you all know, I can be an idiot at times. But there's a lot of things I want to talk about with regards to the Super Bowl that I don't think other people are mentioning. You know, they mention it in passing, and you know me, I always try to give you my perspective. I watch the game live. First of all, if you're ever going to watch a football game nowadays, you have to watch it on delay. It's something I've said for decades. You cannot watch the Super Bowl live. There's so many commercials, so many stops in action. You know, they score a touchdown, then they go to commercial, then they come back and kick it off, then they go to commercial, then they come back. So from, from touchdown to the next possession starting, it could be 10 minutes. So that, that's just a pain. Here's some other observations that no one's really talking about that, well, at least I haven't heard. And I listen to sports talk radio. I, I watch every channel. I watch every sports channel. I watch all the reviews. Uh, another point that I think I need to bring up, isn't it ironic that in the Super Bowl, less penalties, although, you know, most of them are called on the, the, the Patriots' uh, opponent. The Patriots are, the, are, are a very well-coached team because they don't commit hardly any turnovers. Any subjective turnover, like pass interference or holding, very rarely gets called on them. So you take that for whatever it's worth. But very few penalties. Can't we do that during the regular season? Why can't we just play games like this? I guarantee you, if that game was played in the regular season – there would have been twice as many penalties, 
twice as many overturned calls. And I'm not a Patriots fan, and I'm not an Eagles fan. Although I did, I will admit, I wanted the Eagles to win because I'm just always rooting for the underdog. But why can't every game be officiated like this? It's a quicker game. There's not a thousand penalties. I mean, I heard someone say that the the trick play they had was a was actually a penalty. They had five or six men in the backfield. I don't know. But some of these penalties, man, let's just let's just not even call them. It, it, it's going to bring your viewership up. It's going to make it a better game. Please. So that's one observation. The game went much quicker, and there is no doubt in my mind that that one touchdown, Clement, I think, is the one who got it, uh, that, that would have been overturned in the regular season. Proving my point once again that the Super Bowl and the playoffs are much better officiated in every sport. It just takes a commissioner to come out and say, let's just referee every game like this. Let's just call the obvious hold. That, that's what I'm hoping for, at least. That's one observation. Uh, another couple of – I don't care about the commercials. Yeah, the Eli Manning one was good. I don't care. I didn't watch the commercials. Care. I know I'll hear about it the next day from all the nerds that don't know football. I didn't. Wa- I watched the Timberlake thing a little bit. You know, it is what it is. I couldn't keep track with all the songs he was playing. I had no idea what was going on. Ironic that he said he would never let his son play football, and he's doing the halftime show. Uh, let's see some more observations. The biggest play of the game. See, people talked about it. And, you know, the generic answer, the easy answer is the biggest play of the game was was definitely the the, the trick play. No, it wasn't. And I don't know why more people aren't saying this. The biggest play of the game, and it's not even close, the most important play, biggest play of the game, without a doubt, is the Cook's injury. I think it's Jenkins. When he took Cook's out on a legal hit and knocked him out of the game, does anybody realize how massive a play that was? Cooks, I think, and Brady hooked up for the most passes over 20 yards in Brady's career, even more than when Randy Moss played. That was early in the game. You take out his main deep threat. Now, did it really affect the offense? I don't know. I mean, when you look at the offense, they, they kind of scored at will, so you could argue and say, well, I mean, it didn't have that big an impact. It wasn't like the Patriots couldn't score. But it did have an impact because if you know sports and you know football, maybe they score quicker. Maybe that gives them more time at the end of the game. The last drive of the, of, of the game, maybe he gets open more. Maybe the defense for, it, for Philadelphia has to adjust. Maybe they call it different defensive sets. Hogan had a great game. But Cooks was their guy and their deep threat. They had one series with the field goal. They had zero punts. They had a strip sack. And then they couldn't score at the end. It's the little things. If they could have scored a minute quicker throughout all those drives, then they would have had the ball with more time. You can't say that wasn't an impactful game. Another thing, I, I can't believe no one's mentioning this, but I do love Peterson's aggressiveness going for it on fourth downs when he did. 
but he made a big blunder going for two after he misses the extra point. Him going for two, trying to chase points early in the game, if you do the math, the Patriots would have been down seven at the end instead of down five. Big difference. Then that field goal at the end, game over. But because they kept chasing points, they ended up going for it twice. They went for two twice, I believe, and didn't score either time. So add those two extra points, and you're up seven. You just don't chase points early in the game. Because what, the way it panned out was, was the Patriots matched them by missing an extra point. The missed field goal was huge. That's another big play. The missed extra point was huge for Patriots because they could have – it just changes the whole scenario. You figure if they make the extra point and the field goal, the Patriots would be tied, counting on the fact that the Eagles missed their extra point. There, there's just a lot of those factors that people don't really think about. You know, the Butler thing, it's a little weird, but that's why Belichick is. If you don't work hard, I think it just happened to be personally, and what do I know? I know nothing. But my, my assumption is that he did something, said something or did something. And Belichick is going to let it be known that I don't care what game it is or when it is, if you don't follow my rules, you don't play. So all those other guys that are be coming back next year and all those guys that think they're immune to being punished or disciplined, learned. And Butler will not be back with the Patriots. I'd be shocked if he did. Horrible defense on both teams. Or is it great offense? Pressure on Brady than there was on Foles. Here's something else I was thinking when I was watching the game live. Okay, you're the Eagles. You are down one late. They have the ball like a first and ten with maybe 2.45 to go. Something like that. And, and I'm, I'm, again, thinking of these things off the top of my head. But they did. They had an amazing drive. They got the ball down one, and you're thinking, okay, here we go. Brady does it again. That's what I was thinking. And they get the ball back down one with, I believe, 922 to go in the game. And not just that, but they're pinned back at their 15 after a holding call, I believe, on the kickoff return. I'm not 100% sure. They might have had it at 25. I apologize for that. Some of these things I'm just going, I'm just winging it off the top of my nugget. But they, I do know they got the ball back with 922. So then they go all the way down the field and just beautifully mastermind that clock till the end. And this is what I was thinking when I was watching it live. Because the Eagles get the ball back, get the ball with pretty much the ability, in my opinion, the ability to almost work the clock and run the clock out and kick a game-winning field goal. Now, it's dangerous because you know your field goal kicker might be a disaster. So you never want to leave it in a field goal kicker's hands. But then again, what do you trust more, that the field goal kicker will make it from 25 yards or that Brady 
will be stopped. I, I want to say they had the ball first and 10 with about three minutes and 20 seconds to go. So you do the math. And the Patriots had two timeouts. So they ran the clock down on their first down play. I think they snapped it with about two and a half minutes to go in the game. And they ran it, or they threw it. They did something, but, no, they actually threw it to, uh, I think it was Aguilar or whatever his name was, and he runs out of bounds. Two minutes and 37 seconds left, he runs out of bounds, stopping the clock. If he stays in bounds, either the clock runs down as a two-minute warning or the Patriots are going to call a timeout. So he runs out of bounds. All right, okay. That's a bonehead play. Now it's first and 10 with 2.37 to go. So you do the math. Patriots have two timeouts left. If you can get a first down, and I think they had the ball at the 14th, the game's over. First and 10 at the 14th. So they run it. New England calls timeout. Okay, if we, if we run it again, they're going to have to call their last timeout. And then if we can get a first down or throw a safe pass, we can get the ball first and goal, and they're not going to have any time left. I know that that's just what I was thinking. I thought that the Eagles had to work that clock and kick the field goal, which would have been straight on from the four-yard line or three-yard line or one-yard line. And if he can't make that kick, uh, I can't. I don't know what to tell you. If he would have missed that kick, he definitely couldn't go back to Philly. Just a thought. The Butler thing, who knows? Gronk is a beast. I really doubt he's not going to play. I really don't think that's going to be the case. And then, you know, Clement, I thought, was a very unsung hero. Ertz was a stud. But I thought Clement was an unsung hero. Great catches out of the backfield. I believe he had a touchdown. He had big plays all game long. I thought he was a stud. So that's kind of my take. I thought the Eagles deserved a win. You know that fourth down call, if you watch the uh, NFL today, whatever that show's called, on on Showtime, uh, inside the NFL, something like that. But you got to hear the mic, and it was Foles that called that play. But, But you give credit to Peterson. He was going for it. But it was Foles who called the play. That was fun. I thought that was, you know, unsung so to speak. But it was a great Super Bowl. It was entertaining. It was close. It was dramatic. Came down to the last play. Underdogs. I thought it was a great job. I thought the second touchdown to win it by Ertz was a, was a touchdown. I think the, the Clement play was a touchdown. But in the regular season, that play's overturned. Guaranteed. <clears throat> Guaranteed. So those are my those are my takes on the uh, on the Super Bowl. Thought it was a great game. Thought Brady played an amazing game. I thought you know, although the Cooks thing on paper you say, well that's not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal when you factor that the Patriots could have scored quicker, which would have given them more time, which changes the whole scenario. So a lot of mistakes. And then of course one sack. Game over. 
But I did say going on the air last week that if you're going to beat the Patriots, you've got to put pressure on Brady. And they did a decent job of it. Pressure on him a couple times where he had to throw an early pass. He had to throw it earlier than he wanted. No sacks until the very end, but he did have to hurry it. How about that, that drunk driver that killed uh, Edwin Jackson, a, a player for the Colts? Here illegally. You know, everyone says things like, oh, what, you know, DACA and amnesty and dreamers and all that. Listen, I've said this a million times. I'll say it again. The law. We have laws. You can't be here illegally. I'm sorry you're, you're here illegally and your, your parents brought you over here illegally. Yeah, we'll go look for some amnesty for those dreamers, those kids. But the parents got to hit the road. How about that? Parents, you did it illegally. You got to go. How about Ertz's uh, wife? Just, you know, I, I like to bounce around on topics. But Ertz's wife is like the best player on the women's soccer team, national soccer team. I don't, I don't remember her name. But she was in the stands constantly showing her. Now, that's got to be kind of a cool family. You know, World Cup soccer and the other ones in the Super Bowl. And I hear they're they're extremely close, but I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, so so this this Edmund so Edmund Jackson gets killed by an illegal alien. Oh, who cares? No one's talking about that. He was deported twice already. Found his way back here, driving illegally and drunk. Yeah, it's fantastic. Nobody's going to comment on that. Can't do that. It's politically incorrect. You can't criticize. Can't criticize the fact that they're here illegally. I'm against it because I'm angry because I would love nothing more than to be able to say, you know what? I'm bored. I'm going to go move to Australia and I'm going to live there for the rest of my life. See you later. Oh, wait, I can't. Oh, well, in the United States, you can come over here and live here for free. No worries. How come I can't do it in Australia? Oh, they have laws. Oh, okay. Well, we don't here. Malcolm Jenkins was was the guy who hit him. I just got a text. So whoever's listening, thank you. Malcolm Jenkins. He's kind of a beast. But the Eagles deserve to win it. No doubt about it. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, the NBA trade deadline. Pretty good action. Do I think the Cleveland Cavaliers just won the East? No. You know, I, right now, if you ask me today, I have, I'm not going to make a prediction until all the, until the deadline. I think it's March 1st, which is the deadline to sign uh, the buyout contracted players. But I, 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 I think they, that the Cavaliers definitely helped themselves whether they, 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 this is going to put them over the top, I'm just going to wait and see how they fit, see how they play. There, but there were some good trades. Now, my take on this is Isaiah Thomas needs to understand that he's up against it. If, if he wants to get that big contract, he needs to 
play his butt off, shut his mouth, and prove that he's the same guy that was playing in the middle of the year last year. Saying that I'm going to start complaining, whining, and playing like garbage is going to give you a one-year deal at the end of the year. And if you're lucky, it'll be the Lakers or somebody that will pay you a one-year deal similar to J.J. Redick. Just give you a one-year deal, 20 mil, and see how that plays out. So it's going to be interesting to see how he accepts his role. The Lakers did a great job in clearing up the cap space. Obviously, I don't like the trade because I thought they gave up two pretty good players. But they now have the cap space. They have some depth on their team already. You know, I don't know if I want to go after these Max guys if I'm the Lakers. I like their young nucleus. They won last night. I like Ingram. You know, I, I really do like Randall. I don't. I think he's, you know, you got Kuzma. I don't know how Ball is going to come back. He seems pretty weak and soft. How long is he going to be out? But, you know, obviously there's a reason for him being out. Team, You get a, a couple guys. They got to find a way to get rid of Luol Deng. And that guy is actually still in the league and getting paid. What a bad contract that was. You know, uh, Tyreek Evers never got dealt. That's interesting. Marco Bellinelli never got traded. Tony Allen, Vince Carter, Nerlens Noel, Brandon Wright. These were all guys that were going to be traded, and none of them got traded. There were some other trades that I thought were quite puzzling. Now, do I do again? Let me get back to the Cleveland thing because, you know, I I I really like Rodney Hood. I think he's a great shooter. I think he's a very good player. George Hill's a solid veteran leader, point guard. I think he's very good. Clarkson's going to come off the bench and give him some offense. And Larry Nash Jr. gives him a lot of, of athleticism and, and effort and and rebounding. I just want to wait and see how it fits. There were some trades that I was I shook my head and I was like, what what? I mean, Alfred Payton? Alfred Payton was a lottery pick, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's got the funky hair. But what what was the point of that? There has to be a financial reason or a locker room reason. I think you'd be able to get more for him than that. His defense needs to improve. He's definitely not a great player. But I thought to get him for a second-round pick, and the, and the Suns don't have a point guard, I thought that was a very good gamble by the Phoenix Suns. I thought, it was, I thought it was a great job for them. I'm just shocked that Alfred Payton would go for a second-round pick. So I think the Suns win that one. Emmanuel Moutier, I think that's a good deal. Does it mean that they're going to give up on their on their rookie point guard? I don't know. I think it's a it's a it's a worthy risk to just give up Doug McDermott. I think they gave up a pick too. But I mean, to get Moutier, I, I think it's a it's a worthy risk. Did the Nuggets get? 
the Nuggets get Devin Harris, who's more of a true point guard, let's say. But I'm not sure he's amazing. And they get a, 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 the Dallas Mavericks get a second round pick, which would be like you know in the high 40s. And the rights to McDermott, who's going to be a restricted free agent. I don't know. I thought I just thought Emmanuel Moutier was again a lottery pick guy, and you're getting him for for really nothing. And there's some other little trades. Nothing I would you know consider to be huge, life altering. The Blazers gave up on, I forgot that kid, Vonley gave him up. He's been traded like 78 times. But, I, you know, the Knicks are going to rebuild. If Moutier pans out, then then they picked up a pretty good player to go with Porzingis when he returns. The Porzingis injury just ended the Knicks, Knicks season. You know, the Knicks gave up uh, that Hernan Gomez. Everybody was high on him. And then they just got rid of him. The Celtics, you know, signed Monroe on one of those buyout deals. I, I'm really against the buyout stuff. I'm not 100% sure of how it works. I think the way it works is, okay, so you buy out. But, you know, you negotiate. If I'm a team and I'm going to buy out a player, this is what confuses me as, as, a, as a fan slash student of the game. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how it works. I'll have to do some research. But let's say, you know, who's all these guys? Let's look at uh, Joe Johnson, who got traded to the Kings. If they buy him out, does that just mean that they pay him, they pay him what he's owed and he just, he's just off the team? So I guess the, the advantage to doing that is you clear a, a, a roster spot. But you don't save money. I don't I don't know what the benefit of that is if you're the Kings. Maybe it's the right thing to do, but I would just play them like the Lakers. They have, you know, two guys with expiring contracts contracts that they are that is not in their future plans. So what do the Lakers do? Do they just buy them out and say move on? Or do they say, you know what, we're gonna play you this year a little bit, get see see how you play. Maybe we resign you and trade you. Maybe, but regardless, you're going to help us get more wins. And then they buy you out, and then you can just go around and negotiate with any team you want. So if you're the Golden State Warriors, you're saying, "Well, you know, we'll we'll get we'll cut somebody, and then we'll sign we'll we'll bring in Joe Johnson, we'll bring in Isaiah Thomas, we'll bring in Channing Fry." I think Channing Frye is a very valuable asset. He's a big man that really shoots it well. And he'd be a great player on a team that's a contender. I, I think he'd be a great player. Things they, they got to do something better. Move the buyout date up to sign somebody. Make it a deal that if you, if you sign a player that was, buy, that was bought out, you have, to, you have to sign them for half their contractual obligation. So if you buy out Joe Johnson, he's making $20 million this year. If you're going to sign him to your contract to play on your team, you have to pay him 10. And then that 10 goes back to the team that bought him out. You would see a lot 
fewer guys being signed. I, I just don't like the whole process. Don't like it. How about, uh, you know, looking at some of the uh, sports news? How about Garoppolo? Now the highest paid player in the NFL on a per-year annual salary. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty big. Is he worth it? I don't know. He's basically started seven games, and you're going to make it the highest paid player with all that guaranteed money. That's a risk. I mean, that's a big risk. And there's been other NFL quarterbacks that have been signed and paid without proving it that have been major busts. But $137.5 million over five years, I believe, $90 million of it guaranteed over the first three years, making it the largest three-year total in NFL history. He's guaranteed $90 million in, 30, in three years. $30 million a year. He's got to be happy. His time sitting on the bench was sure worth it. He did look good at the end of the year, but who was he really playing against? That's a big financial hit. But if he plays like he did at the end of the year, he, he's probably worth it. NFL draft's always going to be fun. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. But, yeah, I thought that was kind of a kind of a brutal – I mean, the highest-paid player in NFL history. The Olympics start today. I've told you before my thoughts on the Olympics. It's too commercial. It's overrated. But um, I do like the Olympics for the smaller events, for the smaller venues. I don't need to watch the skiing and the ice skating and the hockey. They know they have hockey this year. But I do want to watch the the low-level stuff because I really do respect those athletes that sacrifice – gave up their lives for four, six, eight years for a gold medal in a sport that no one cares about where you're not going to go pro and you're not going to get rich. It really just kind of sport is all about. It really is. And this is their time to shine. So I will watch the Olympics, and I'll report on it and tell you the things I liked and the events I liked. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to watch the events everyone else watches. You know, I think the Olympics are going to be on NBC and they're going to show all the high-profile stuff. And then I think when it's not on NBC, it's on, it's on MSNBC, not MSNBC, but what is it, NBCSN, <laughs> the NBC Sports Network. So I will watch it on that. I think it's channel 220 if you have DirecTV. And now they have a – I think they have an alternate channel too. But I'll be watching the Olympics during the day, see how it goes. I really do respect those athletes. I'm, I, I, you know, I used to be an athlete back in the day, and I still am in my mind. So I really admire and respect athletes who sacrifice, especially when it's not for the money. By the way, I heard a song. That song in the Super Bowl from uh, Carrie Underwood, I think it's called Champions. I like it. I like the words. I, I think it's pretty good. I don't know if it's a great song per se, but I, I do like the message. I do like the words. I do like the lyrics. So just a little bit, a little bit there. If you're an athlete, I think it'll touch home with you. And, you know, I love, 
motivational type songs. I think it's a good one. I, I, I told you before, you know, back in the day when I was doing my podcast, I love that Miley Cyrus song, The Climb. You know, yeah, I'm going to sit here on national radio, if you consider this national. But, yeah, I, I enjoy the Miley Cyrus song. I think probably the best lyrics I've ever heard in a song. You know, Dream On by Aerosmith, Tiger. Who's saying that? I want to say Survivor. Is that right? There's some songs you listen to for the words, I don't care anymore, Phil Collins. There's some songs I listen to that will get me fired up, and it's not always about the beat. It's about the lyrics. It's about the message. I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. So a little bit of a tip there for you, a little bit of advice. People, uh, I got an email to talk about television shows I'm watching. Well, they're going to be on hiatus now at the Olympics, so we'll talk about that maybe in a couple weeks. College basketball, great games. Uh, I don't want to, you know, ruin it for anybody in case they tape the game and they're going to watch it later. But college basketball is hitting the peak now. Once you get to that first Carolina-Duke game, there's going to be a great game on Saturday, Michigan State-Purdue. You know, Jay Billis went on record saying his final four are Virginia, Purdue, Michigan State, and Villanova. I don't think any of those four teams make it. So, I mean – I mean, and what do I know? I'm no expert. Jay Billis is more of an expert than I am. But I, I don't like either of those teams. I don't like any of those teams. I don't know who I'm going to pick yet to be in there. I, you know, I like a West Virginia. Obviously, you've got Kansas. I think Kentucky's going to do better than people think. Arizona, it's, it's way up in the air. But those four teams have one thing in common to me. The other three more than Villanova. I don't think a Big Ten team can make it to the Final Four with the exception of Michigan State. But their style of play, they just don't have a lot of offensive go-to guys. I don't like Virginia for that reason. They don't have an offensive go-to guy. I love Virginia. I love West Virginia. I, I, you know, I love watching Villanova play. I love Izzo at Michigan State, even though he's going through some things. I love the Purdue method. I just don't see a team getting all the way to the Final Four without a guy they can get the ball to, clear it out and score. And I know you're going to say they got a few. I just don't. I think there's going to be some teams like these Xaviers and some teams that are just going to be, they're just going to come out and upset some teams early. You know, Carolina and Duke have major flaws. Kentucky has flaws. They can't shoot well. You know, Duke doesn't really guard you really well. Carolina's got some size issues. Everybody has weaknesses. There's no dominant team, and I love that. I think a team with senior leadership, I think a team that has the best chemistry, a team that gets hot, and I'm just going to say it, in the NCAA tournament, it's about matchups. Who's going to have the good matchup? There's one matchup for everybody that they don't want to play this team because they don't match up well, and if that team gets beat early, then you get lucky and the matchups work out all the way through. I just don't. I just don't see those four teams making it. Well, we'll see. Purdue and Michigan State's coming on Saturday at 4 o'clock Eastern. That's going to be a fun game to watch. I like West Virginia, but they're inconsistent. But it's going to be great. So that's my that's my basic sports roundup. I don't know if there's anything else worth to talk about. I love hockey, but most people don't get it, so I'm not going to go nuts on the hockey front. Baseball's whining about collusion. You know what? The, the, the free agents that have not been signed have been given offers. They didn't accept them. 
They want to hold out for more money, then hold out for more money and quit whining. If you if you think that you deserve more money, well, no one no one's worthy to no one's giving you or thinks you're worthy of that kind of contract. So you got two options: don't sign and hold out, see what happens, or just sign for the best deal that's out there. You got Darvish, Arietta, Hosmer, JD. They're unsigned. I just don't think baseball owners want to sign these guys to mega deals anymore. They saw what Houston did. Because the Dodgers have an enormous uh, payroll, but the guys who ended up getting into the World Series were not high-paid players. I mean, Taylor makes nothing. Hernandez, nothing. Puig makes like seven or eight mil a year. They got a rookie at first base. Turner makes a lot of money, but just recently, Seager's not highly paid rookie in his second year. They, they really, if you look at the guys outside of Kershaw, they didn't have a lot of guys, maybe Turner, but all their high-paid salaries on the bench injured. In fact, they just made a trade and dumped like four of those guys. Go, uh, Gonzalez, who I love, Adrian Gonzalez was making like 29 a year. So, again, I think these baseball executives are saying, you know what, we don't need to spend 30 mil on one guy. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's getting it done. And then you see what the Marlins are doing. Now, they're not going to win, but they're trying to follow the Astros' motto. We'll get into baseball as we get into April. But a topic I did want to go over, and, and it was brought up to my attention, is, is parenting uh, a young athlete. And, you know, I like to talk to parents. I run a lot of youth events. I run a lot of NCAA tournaments. I run a lot of, you know, youth camps around the world, not just here, but in, you know, Tokyo and Australia and Taiwan, Singapore, London, Hawaii, which I consider a different country because it's so nice there. But, you know, I think that today's parent needs to understand that, I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican, but I do not, I think if, and again, what do I know? I'm just giving you my opinion. I think if someone says they're a liberal, I think that means they're very weak. Like, soft. Not not really aggressive in life. Kind of like, you know, we should have no immigration rules. I, I don't know, just, just my, my interpretation. And I think that a lot of the country does seem to go liberal, and and it acts that way with regards to raising their child. You know, it's never their child's fault, child, bubble wrap the child, do everything for the child, make excuses for the child. If they're not doing well in school, it's the teacher's fault. If they're not getting a lot of playing time, it's because the coach is bad. You know, if, if they can't seem to do something, don't ask them to do it. Do it for them. If they're not capable of cleaning their own room, clean it for them. Uh, you know, if they make a mistake or commit a violation of false rules, if they cheat in school, if they get caught stealing, give them a timeout, take away the computer for an hour. And if you're raising a young athlete, you know, if you're raising a child to be an athlete, it's, it's, you've got to follow a different set of rules. Now, I think you should follow the same set of rules even if you're raising a non-athlete. 
But for, for a young athlete, they have to understand the adversity that's going to be coming their way, the perseverance that they're going to have to have that's a requirement, the mental toughness, criticism, the ability to figure things out for themselves, the ability to not make excuses, adapt and overcome. The ability to fail and then learn from that and succeed. And I see this all the time because I can tell whether a kid's going to be successful or not by his parents or hers. Bad body language. That's bad parenting. Uh, Complaining, whining, making excuses, bad parenting. Go their way so they get technicals, yell at the coach, walk off the court sit on the back of the chair, complain. That's parenting. Hey, son, why didn't you play that much? You played like six minutes. What's going on? Oh, no, coach just doesn't like me. Okay, I'm going to send him an email. Uh, My son's not playing that much. Why is that? Well, your son's not very good. Can't play defense. Can't shoot. Doesn't play hard. Not fast. Not athletic. Doesn't know the game. So I'm giving him about four or five minutes a game, but he's got a couple years he needs to learn, needs to get better, needs to get tougher. And he seems to complain a lot. He whines a lot. He gives up a lot, has bad body language, bad posture. He he doesn't really seem to this level yet, but I'm not going to give up on him. We're going to work with him for a couple years, maybe see if he can develop that type of, you know, intestinal fortitude that's required to play an athletic sport. Oh, well, I I don't, uh, I don't think that's right. I think, I think my son should play more. I, I, I saw him the other day. He made a couple shots. I mean, he's as good as everyone else. I don't know why Stevie's playing more than him. He, he plays against him all the time in his backyard. He, he seems like he's a better player. Okay, well, Mrs. X, uh, you're an idiot, so I'm going to hang up this phone now. I got some game film. Maybe we can watch it together, and I'll explain, explain to you at that point how bad your son really is. But if, if you are a parent that – never allows your son to fail and get up on his own and learn or daughter, I'm saying son or daughter and allows them to get up on their own and learn from their mistakes. They will all fall. They will all fail. Let them fail them fall. Teach them how to get up on their own. Teach them how to fight through adversity. Teach them to get better. I work with kids all the time that if I say, you know what, I'm going to put you on the B team. If they complain, they whine, they point fingers. Now, they don't do that to me because if they do that to me, they're off the team. I had a really good kid on, my, on like a 17U team, and he showed up late to practice. I put him on the 16s for a couple of weeks. If he would have complained, I would have cut him. I watch high school games, kids walking off the floor, kids sitting at the back of the chair, not in the huddle, kids arguing with, with the coach. And that, to me, that comes from the parents. If I saw that as a parent, I would say, I watched you sit at the end of that bench and pout. You do that again, and we're going to have some serious problems. Now, back in my day, I would have got smacked, or they would have taken out a belt and whipped me. Do that now, you're in prison for 15 to 20. But it made me the man I am today. Thank the good Lord above that someone did have that for me. Otherwise, I would have gone nuts. Growing up in Compton, California, running around like a psycho, if I didn't fear that my dad was going to beat the tar out of me when I got home, who knows where I'd be right now. If I did not fear the repercussions from my father for misbehaving, 
I'd probably be in jail. There was many times where I thought to myself, ooh, if I do this and get and get caught, oh, man, I, I, I wish I'd go to prison because my dad's going to make life worse than prison. Or I would say to myself, I'll do this, but what if I get caught? The look on my mom's face of disappointment. Oh, I, I can't do it. I'm just, I, I can't go, guys. I got, I'm just going to stay here. But when you fear, when you don't have that fear, like, well, if I get caught, I'll go home. My dad will just lecture me, and then, you know, I'll go back on my computer and play video games. There's no consequence for their actions. Oh, I told you to clean your room. Why didn't you clean your room? I don't know, Dad. I was busy. My bad. Oh, okay. Well, um, try to clean it before you leave, okay? Then they leave. Don't clean it. And then I walk in, or a parent walks in and goes, oh, wow, they didn't do their room. Okay, I'll just do it for them because I, I can do it. I'll do their laundry. I'll wash the dishes. I'll cook for them. If you do everything for your child, you're not going to prepare them for sports. Because when you're on that battlefield of a, of a hardwood, of a basketball court, the ice of an ice rink and hockey, you know, whatever, gymnastics, baseball, tennis, football, it's you against the opponent, and mommy and daddy are not there for you. If they punch you in the mouth and knock you down, you got to get up. You have to persevere. You have to put work in. You have to put time in. You have to get the job done. You're going to get beat. You have to get up and figure it out. You're going to go up against somebody that's a foot taller, 60 pounds heavier, more athletic. You got to figure it out. What are you going to do? Call time out and go in the stands and ask for your mom's help? What are you going to do in between games? Go sit with your mom? As a college coach of recruited players, if I thought you were a mama's boy or if you were sitting in the stands with your mommy and she's getting you Gatorades, I'd be thinking you're weak. If I'm seeing some guy punk you all over the court and bully you around, knock you down, and you don't get up and you're whining at the refs, well, I, I don't think you're ready. Parents have to understand this when they're raising their kid. They, they have to understand that it's okay if your child fails. It's okay if they don't figure it out. It's okay if they're not playing. It's okay if they get beat. Are they learning? Are they getting better? It doesn't matter how good you are in the eighth grade. It matters how good you are in the 12th grade. There's signs as a parent. Do they watch games on TV? Do they study the game on their own? Or are they playing video games? Are they sleeping? Are they overeating? Are they laying on a couch? Monitor your child. See what they're doing. Don't tell them what to do. Just look at them. See what they do. If they don't watch games, if they don't have a passion for the game, then I'm, getting, I'm here to tell you your child most likely doesn't love the game. If they're watching games on TV, if they're studying the games, if they work out on their own, then you've got a child that wants it. You can't want it for them. Cannot make them great. If they think they know more than the coach, then they have no chance. If they are not coachable, if they make excuses, if they're poorly, poor, do poor in school, and you blame the, the teacher, if you have to tell them to do their homework because they don't want to do it on their own, if they don't have goals, if they're not working out, or if they're working out the wrong way, these are all signs. But as a, as a coach, I look at the parents more than I look at the kids, you know, for, especially when they're ninth grade and below. Coachable, can you tell them the truth? Do they respond to criticism? 
if you get on them, do they get better? Do they cry? Do they pout? Do they have bad body language? I have kids that won't look me in the eye. They're so weak mentally and so scared. They can't look me in the eye. I've got kids that slouch and pout and walk and, you know, their, their body posture and language on the field or on the court is just appalling. There's a lot that goes into this thing called sports. It's, and it's a lot more than, than just how good of an athlete are you? Are you mentally tough? Are you physically tough? Are you aggressive? Are you confident? And those are things that are developed at a young age. You have a nine-year-old and he doesn't want to do the dishes. You make him do the dishes. You teach him. He's got responsibilities. He's got chores. Your bed's not made. Your room's not clean. Why is there food in the? Why, why is there plates in the sink? Yeah, you could do it. I'll teach you. You can manage it. You know, when they're thirteen and fourteen, do your own laundry, make your own bed, mop the house, give them chores, give them responsibilities. not easy being a parent. I know that. And as a parent, you always want your child to succeed. And it's hard for a lot of parents to watch their child fail. But that's the best thing that can happen to them at the age of 12 and 13 and 14. The best thing that happens to them is that they fail because it's going to teach them how to succeed and overcome and adapt and overcome. And the next thing you know, they're going to be successful adults because they've learned how to get up on their own. They've learned how to overcome the odds. They've learned how to persevere. They've learned how not to quit. Other kids look at their mommies and daddies when things get tough, and they just do it for them. If you're not raised, opinion, if you're not raised in the manner I am speaking, you're not going to be a successful athlete. Now, if you're 6'11", well, there, there you go. Different set of rules. But if you want to go all the way to the NBA and be a Hall of Famer, you're going to have to follow those same set of parenting rules. Yeah, if you're 6'11", you're probably going to play in college, but that doesn't mean you're going to get paid. You have to have good coaches. You have to have mentors. You have to have coaches that don't baby you. You have to have coaches that challenge you. There's a lot that goes into this. I've been doing this a long time. And I'll get more into this topic as the weeks go by. I'm sure I'll get some comments. But you definitely have a set of rules and values that you have to follow as a parent to prepare your child for that level of success. If they don't like the team they're on and they're not playing a lot, do they transfer and go somewhere else? Or do they just work, 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 and get better so that they can play more on that team? What kind of character does your child have? Because it's a direct it's a, it directly relates to the, the parents. Kid is weak, the parents are weak. If a kid's a sissy, then the parents are that way. If the kid's a whiner and a crybaby, that's who the parents are. Parents will always imitate and emulate the parents. The kid will always emulate the primary parent that is in charge of, of raising that child. It's just natural source of, or of, of what was of development. It's just reality. If your son is soft, then he's been raised by soft parents. Hopefully this makes sense. Hopefully this makes a difference. I don't know if it will. I'm sure I'll get some 
some comments, which I like and I welcome, and then I'll make some adjustments next week. When will we be on the air next week? Do not know. Maybe Wednesday. There's no, like, trade deadlines or anything or Super Bowls or now we're in the college football season and we're in the not really NBA season to me. NBA season starts April 3rd. It's like every season just gives me two months in basketball. Give me April and May and June. That's when the playoffs start and all that. That The NBA is April, May, June. College basketball is February, March. February, March. That's the way the season goes. NFL goes and college football goes all the way through January. February and March are college basketball. April, May, June, NBA. July, all the way through what, maybe even into through September, even into October, baseball. November, December, January, football. Kind of the way it goes. So the next two months are, are focused on college basketball. Then NBA. So we'll talk a lot about college basketball. And I'm sure there will be some things that happen between now and then, and, and we'll talk to you then. So please... If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at CoachDaveTaylor at Yahoo.com. You can follow me on Twitter at CoachDaveTaylor. I think it's my, I think that's my thing on Instagram too, at CoachDaveTaylor. Don't text and drive. Don't drink and drive. Do your best. Especially don't drink and drive. Are you kidding me? Make a difference in someone's life. Be a positive role model. Raise a child that will be successful in society, not a detriment. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you more next week. Be safe.